just expect that your vision of how everything's supposed to go is probably not going to happen that way. the adventure through the bible podcast my name is matt joining me today because for some reason her picture is front and center on my screen is karen hey and we've got eric hey matt and tracy good morning morning so i'm finding myself it, it feels like i'm coming to the end of an era sort of thing i've got my oldest son getting ready to go to college and I mean, it's really I mean, I guess it's a matter of months, but it's not that far away. But, you know, all those graduation announcements are coming out and there's all these plan those planning being done. And let's be honest, it's my wife doing all the planning. But um, shocking. Yeah. Well, so you know, shocking. I hey, you know what? I, I don't I don't want to stop her from doing what she loves. <laughs> but very selfish of you, Matt. Thank you. Thank you. I try to be benevolent that way. <laughs> but yeah, I've got, you know, I'm getting, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's, it's interesting because, you know, we were just talking here before we pushed the button about how we sound old because we don't like how everything's going digital. Ironic since we're, we're sitting here recording a podcast, but, um, or actually we don't like how everything gets stored digitally. That was it more than anything, but, um, but also sitting here and thinking, you know, looking at my oldest son, getting ready to graduate high school, bringing back all those memories of my own. And, you know, Eric, you've got one getting ready to graduate. And Tracy, you've already got one who's flown the nest. And Karen, yeah. you've got two who have flown the nest. And Yeah, they ran away. <laughs> it's just a, I don't know, it's just an interesting point to be in in life where it's like this, um, uh, you're, proud, you're proud to see them come to the next step. But then you know, there's also the trepidation of, Wondering what's going to happen. Can they handle it? What's what's the world going to throw at them? Uh, you know, as they as they go away to another state to go to school and learn how to interact with the world. And I don't know. It's just uh, it's just kind of got my mind going in some interesting circles this week. And I was just curious how you guys have felt about that. Do feel about that? Not that we want to spend a lot of time on that, but um, daunting. Was it exciting? I think you get every emotion. Yeah. And I think you continue to I I don't think they ever they ever leave per se. They're always there. They're always a phone call away. They're always a visit away and you just kinda keep those lines of communication open and just another stage of life that that you've been through and you're excited for them to go through and you still want to nurture and 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 love them and guide them and lead them, but then you also know that, you know, they're moving into adulthood and sometimes it is that live and learn model and you know you're just you just move into another another uh spectrum of of parenting and and uh, just growth mm -hmm. what do you think karen it didn't really bother me but i'm not a terrible i i don't know if i'm a very good nurturer either so there's that karen didn't, uh, karen didn't love her uh, children well i mm, okay so um <laughs> like when they Shut up. So when they um, when they got old enough to have jobs, you know, and when they got old enough to start getting like a bigger a bigger allowance that went with responsibilities, you know, or different things like that. Like I would I would sit them down and I would say, OK, guys, 
next phase of life, you know, and like um, we were from Alaska. And so in, in Alaska at the time, when my son turned 14, you were able to get jobs at 14. Well, then the summer, the spring that he turned 15, they, the state changed the uh, teenage work age to 15. And then the year that he turned 16, they changed it to 16. So it was like he was just sort of riding that threshold each time. But he, I mean, he had, he had just a regular paying job that he rode his mountain bike to when, when the weather was nice, which is only half the year, starting at 14. And I, and I, I sat down and had a little talk with him. Like he had to you know, dress up and in a, we had him put on dress pants and a tie and well, and a shirt too, just, you know, to complete the image. And I took him there and he, so, and that was just to turn in his, his application, you know, and then, you know, he's like, well, they want to do an interview right now. And, and, and they said that they appreciated me coming in dressed up. I'm like, yeah, I told you, yeah, make a good impression. I'm like, yeah, I'll wait, go do your thing. It just never bothered me. Like they offered him the job and on the way home, I'm like, okay, next phase of life. Like, this is where you start to stretch out and you get to practice being an adult, but you're not actually one yet. Because if you fail, I still got your back. And he was like, oh, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. and both my kids were like that. They were kind of just, they were ready to go, but they were very actively in tune with me. And we would talk about everything every night over dinner. And I don't know, it was just exciting. It was exciting seeing them grow. I liked it. Yeah. It is. It's exciting. And I do like it. It's uh, but there's a I don't know. There's just sort of a split mind on it for me. But I don't know. didn't mean to. <laughs> it sounds like I'm bringing things down. I'm not meaning to bring things down. I really am excited for my son. It's just uh, I just I, well, just I don't know why. That. According to King Solomon, everything is meaningless. So yeah. make sure you read those verses to him before he exits the house. <laughs> well, everything there is. is meaningless. There is that, and that's an excellent segue into the reading this week, too, because last week when we were talking about uh, the book of Ecclesiastes, which is what we're continuing today, Solomon spends so much time talking about how everything is meaningless and, and folly, and well, what are some of the other words? I mean, you know... Vanity, depending on your translation. Right. And, you know, I had come, I had always come to the book with the concept of it being very, having a very pessimistic attitude. Uh, but you guys won me over, uh, with <laughs> how, it's, it's really, it's not so much pessimistic. It's just realistic. And, yep. and by having, having my mind changed to that sort of attitude, uh, to the book, it, it really helped me to, to see the, the, the wisdom in it, to see, uh, the way it's helping us to look at the world in a way that, I don't know. To me, it helps. It helps me to not get bothered by all of the ups and downs, you know, all the roller coasters that we go through every day. Because I guess because it, it happens to everybody. Yes, and that's 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 Solomon's point. Is mm -hmm. if you see the world, the world, because we all, I'm going to do the thing I shouldn't do and say everybody has a view of how the world should work. <laughs> you know, it's like, this is right and this is wrong, and this is what should happen and this is what shouldn't happen. And Solomon is telling all of us, it's just not going to roll like that. Yep. Just don't get caught up. Mm -hmm. Just expect that your vision of how everything's supposed to go is probably not going to happen that way. You yeah. think that all the speeders are going to get pulled over and get tickets? Well, they won't. <laughs> Do you think that just because you you don't know, follow the rules and you're careful, you'll never get in an accident. Well, 
He might. And he's saying kind of, hey, life happens and good things. And, and one of the things I appreciate is he says this again and again, is that when the good things happen, celebrate, be happy. Like, yeah. be, like actually, like, enjoy, enjoy that moment. It's okay. You should. And when it's bad, it's like, it's going to happen. And these things happen in phases and they'll pass. And it sounds very paternal in that way. But really, he's, he's I think, painting more reality. We see David in the, in the Psalms. I mean, it's almost like uh, a bipolar prayer journal. <laughs> everything's great everything's wonderful and it's like oh everything's terrible and my enemies are going to kill me and i want you to kill them for me and solomon's kind of a little bit more towards the middle of the road here and he's just saying bad stuff's going to happen good stuff's going to happen and you need to live your life kind of between the between the boundaries and and here we get to finish the book of ecclesiastes and he does in fact literally say you know and here's the conclusion of the matter yeah I, I won't do a spoiler for us here but he he literally does that and it's it's not bad he's taking the shine off and i think that that is we need to see that when we're young you know what i think we need that optimism we're talking about our kids you know launching them i mean i registered my daughter for college classes yesterday and they need to feel optimistic and hopeful and things like that. And I think we shouldn't lose that as adults. But also we need to know, yeah, you know, things, things might not turn out exactly as you want to. But within those bounds, Solomon gives some pretty serious um, advice. And we get into some interesting ones here. You want to dive into seven? Yeah, uh, let's get into yeah, seven. Seven? Yeah, so Ecclesiastes 7, which is where we're starting this week. Now, after last week, I thought that the, the title of this was interesting because last week we talked about so much where Solomon, every, everything was folly to Solomon. On the one hand, you know, he's telling us that wisdom is great, but then he's telling us, well, even that is folly. And he's telling us that, uh, you know, that uh, having too much fun is folly. But, but this week, then he turns right around and starts talking about the values of wisdom. Or yep. at least that's the, that's, the, that's the title of chapter 7 for mine. I'm sure that was added later. But the value of practical wisdom. And maybe that's the, maybe that's the catalyst for, maybe that's the wrong word, but maybe that's, that, that's what makes the difference is the practical wisdom. You know, this isn't like knowing answers to trivial pursuit. This is uh, this is knowing actual day to day things that will help you uh, in your life, mm -hmm. and the value. Of this gave you the pros and the cons mm -hmm. on just about everything. Mm -hmm. And here's an interesting thing. I remember reading this as a teen, and it was very. I'll be honest, very puzzling. Here, we'll just dive dive right into Ecclesiastes seven. One, a good name is better than precious ointment. Okay, cool, good reputation. And the day of death, then the day of birth. I'm like, oh, well, that's kind of depressing. Yeah. And then, then here's here's one that was really that stuck with me. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind, and the living 
will lay it to heart. And I puzzled over that for quite a while. And I thought, man, do you just like, do you live there? You just stay in the house of mourning all the time? And I think that in a book of wisdom like this, we look, I think, it's wise to look at these things and say, well, what's he trying to say? Mm-hmm. I mean, what's, what's the message here? Is this, is this a literal thing? Because if, if, we, if we look at Ecclesiastes just straight up, everything is like, well, and that's just the way you do everything all the time. No, he's talking in general terms here. Some specifics. I think he's saying, hey, look, you need to live with the end in mind mm-hmm. that you're going to die. Mm-hmm. And what kind of life will you live as a result of that, I mean, I'm, I'm going through some massive changes and shifts in mindset and growth in my business. My previous career that I had two years ago is, is all but dead. Just, it just is. You know, pandemic, time, circumstances, it's just something that I worked for 20 years uh, to build is sunsetting. So I've been really spending a lot of time. Um, studying and thinking about business development. I've hired a business coach. I have all these things. And you, one thing they all, the books, every doesn't matter, but books, they say, begin with the end. Where do you want to be in 20 years, in 10 years, in five years? And then work it backwards. Well, if you want to be here in five years, where do you have to be in three years to be where you want to be in five years? And then where you have to, what do you have to be in one year to be where you want to be in three years to hit your five-year goal? And then what what do you need to do in the next 90 days? And then what do you need to do today to hit where you need to be in 90 days? It's not rocket science. They're all teaching this. And I think Solomon's saying the same thing here. He's like, hey, look, you need to know you're going to die. And given that you are going to die, what kind of life will you live until then? Because many people, I think, they just live day to day, hand to mouth. You know, and no I was, thought about I was looking at it in the, in the same way, too. But then I was kind of thinking, you know, it's it's better to go to the house of mourning. So then you look at, you know, like a funeral or, you know, the after the wake or something like that, where it's usually solemn. You're reflecting on a person's life, what they accomplished, you know, the interactions that they had with people, what they build, what they forge with people, the relationships where, you know, that's that's deep. It's more thought-provoking. It's more of a reflective time where you go to the house of feasting. You know, everything is usually, when it's a party, it's lighthearted. You're not there in, in, you know, in deep thought and, you know, perspective and, you know, what life has to bring. You're just there to have fun. 100%. And Mm -hmm. I think that's, too, kind of when you see all these pros and cons and and looking at it in, you know, uh, both, both directions, that that's what he's kind of saying. It's like... You know, do know that you're going to die, and what what are you going to accomplish in life, and make everything worthwhile. Yes, with mm-hmm. you know, don't get caught up in just wanting to have the fun because it, you got to be deeper than that. You got to go for more. Just exactly like you're saying, you got to plan. And I think that this is where it just gives you both perspectives. You know, don't get too high on yourself, but don't get too low on yourself. You know, I think it's just that yeah. that play. So I was uh, I was a year young when I moved out. I was 17, finished high school and went off to college and had to live in the dorms the first year because I couldn't rent an apartment. So it was just kind of like a, a little bit of a different start there. 
Um, always been able to have jobs, work steadily. Bosses always liked me. And one of the, dis but, I, but I grew up in kind of an interesting, I called it a fishbowl. I grew up in an interesting situation where, because my father was a minister, like there was a lot of focus on how I acted that had nothing to do with me, if that makes sense. And I, I personally found it exhausting and annoying. I didn't want anything to do with it. None of my choices felt like they were my own. And so what I discovered, what I noticed about myself when I moved out, even before I was old enough to get an apartment, still living in the dorms at college, I noticed that my major choices that I was making, I was still reacting, right? I was making choices out of a sense of freedom rather than a sense of self, right? So I was basically still reacting to how I felt growing up where I was the, the fishbowl thing. And so I sat down one night and I had a serious talk with myself and I read the first chapter of the book of James where it talks about asking for wisdom because God will give it to you. And I told myself, okay, self, you are perfectly free to do whatever you want to do as long as you're willing to accept the consequences that can come with it. So I had to laugh this week because I was, I was reading through chapter 11. It says, um, in verse nine, it says, follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. And I was like, Oh, there it is. I found it. <laughs> so I accidentally made a good decision for myself that steered me on the choice of like, no, if you're going to choose to do something, choose it from who you actually are, where you actually are with the end in sight. And if you can live with that, then, then, then make the choice. If you can't live with that, then you better not make the choice or you better make a different choice. Or you better modify your choice because you're, because exactly like Solomon is saying through the end of this, it's like he's the way he says it is the end of a thing is better than the beginning. And I think what he means by that is that that's when you get to see the resolution. That's when you get to see what was actually true. That's when you get to see how the dust settles into reality. That's kind of the impression I get from reading him as a whole. It's like the end of the thing is better than the beginning because you're no longer guessing. Does that make sense? That's the way I too. Yeah. Once you, once you see where something ends up, then you can see the path it took to get there. You can see what the whole point was. You can you can see the fruition of everything in it. And yeah, your 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 choices are confirmed. The choices that you made along the way become confirmed only in high, in hindsight. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or if something turns out badly too, you can look back and exactly. learn learn from yeah. where where it went bad, and you know why why it wasn't maybe the wise, wise choice to go that direction. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. It's it's. I mean, this is again to take it to to some of the stuff that I've been listening to. But I was listening to a podcast, and the host was talking about health, and they were talking about financial things, talking about long term investing, real estate specifically. And they're saying whether you succeed or fail, usually not a surprise. Like they were talking about the the patterns that we have generally speaking, not surprising. And one of the hosts said, my parents, for example, I love them, but man, I will not be surprised if one of them has a serious health crisis. It won't be surprising because we can see the pattern that they're on. 
and basically that's working the, the the thing backwards, like looking at the end and saying, well, what's the end likely to be based on what we're doing now? Now, that said, Solomon also throws in some, some caveats to that, saying it's not always that way. Um, he, he drops a lot of pearls of, of, of wisdom, you know, things that we see later. You know, eight seven verse twenty. Surely there's not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Oh, whoa, we see that yep. in Romans eight twenty three. Yep, yeah, and then just stuck out. a little bit of advice here. It's just like ah, do not take to heart all the things that people say. Basically, mm-hmm. if you overhear somebody saying something about you, yeah, don't take too much to heart because you've probably said stupid things about other people too. I mean, this is is good advice, right? Um, but then he says interesting. He says something really interesting here in 8.11. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to evil. We talk about that with my kids. And guess what that means is, is that if sin or if a bad choice immediately led to punishment, things would be easy, right? Let's just take a... Uh, an example here, I'll make it up, smoking. If you picked up a cigarette, lit it, took a, you know, you drew one and the thing blew up and killed you, there wouldn't be a lot of smokers, correct? That would just, right. It would just be an instantaneously like, oh, dang, I'm, oh, I'm not doing that. But that's not how, that's not how bad things work usually. Very, very few things work like that, whether good or bad. And it's kind of like I hear this. There's another guy that I listen to. It's like, you know what? It's like I bought new running shoes and new running shorts and uh, and a scale. And I went out and I ran for 15 minutes and I came back. And dang it, I look just exactly like I did before I left. This doesn't work. (laughs) (laughs) And so for good or bad, the things that we do don't have immediate payoff. And Solomon, he's calling out these things that we kind of look and we're like, oh, actually, you know what? That's that's true. And he's saying, hey, even the wicked, you, you may see, you may see what looks like they're prospering. And it looks like you may see good people, bad things happen to them. Basically, he's just saying, don't be surprised. Don't think you're the first one in the universe to notice this. So what did you guys think of <laughs> chapter 7, verses 27 and 28? You just stole my thunder. <laughs> Looks, as the teacher, this is what I have discovered. Adding one thing to another to discover the scheme of things, while I was still searching but not finding, I found one upright man among a thousand, but not one upright woman among them all. All I could think about was 700 plus wives, 300 concubines, and it sounds like he's bashing women at this point. (laughs) That's all I could think of. (laughs) Oh, gosh. (laughs) Well, I'm glad I wasn't the one who brought that one up. (laughs) (laughs) And and it reminds me, and we know he wrote Proverbs, and it reminds me of the text in Proverbs that says... um, a continual dripping on a rainy day and a contentious woman are alike. I'm like, dude, stop marrying them. <laughs> How many do you need? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> well, you see, right there is 
I mean, I don't want to throw stones here because he does have a book in the Bible, but I do wonder how wise he was if he kept doing that. <laughs> you know, that's what I've said, too, is like, come on. I, I mean, that I, I mean, marriage to one person has its own challenges and rewards and, and such. But how could you possibly, of course, I don't know, I'm looking at it from a 21st century Western point of view, but I just don't know how you could possibly have a rewarding marriage. Uh, I don't know how you could, how you could balance all of that, having all those wives and, and, and to have to deal with all the time. I don't, I don't know. He actually, in the next verse, in verse 29, he actually comes to a conclusion about that. So check this out and tell me what you guys think. This only have I found. God created mankind upright, but they have gone in search of many schemes. Hmm. I think there's, there's, yeah. there's, I don't examples, know. there's examples of all these things. And I, I think of when, we, when he's talking about wisdom, I cannot help but think of the story of Abigail as she saves her entire, basically, community from destruction with David. You, there was a wise woman. Yep. And that's what David called her. Oh, yeah. And, and so I think these things that Solomon is talking about, he's painting things with a pretty broad brush, I think. Yes. Um, and really, is it truly that only one out of a thousand men has any wisdom? I don't know. It doesn't say a whole lot of good things about his friends. Yeah, like you say, bro, he's painting with broad strokes. He's he's generalizing. I don't think that I don't think anything there is meant to be taken literally, not specifically. But well, he's talking about people that are upright, not necessarily people who are wise. People who are upright, so well intentioned. You know, sort of clean living, transparent, you know, all of the things that you think right think when you think of an upright person. Yeah. But then yeah. there's oh man, I wish I could find it. it. I believe it's Elijah who has finished the, on Mount Carmel and he's he the fire came down from heaven, Jezebel's out to kill him. Yeah. Ahab has just had his rebellion. And he goes into the desert. God says, what are you doing here? And he says, I alone am left. I'm trying to find. Yes. He says, yep. I'm the only one who who serves you. And God says, no. Wait, others. <laughs> yeah, he says, I got 7,000 in the evil kingdom, not the good kingdom. In the, in the, I got 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Basically, God's saying, I know more about this situation than you know. Mm -hmm. And I, I believe that's a wise thing to to keep in mind as we look at we uh, um, as as we judge things. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, you know, to answer your question, Karen, about verse 29 there, they have sought out many schemes. God made man upright, but they've sought out many schemes. It's just looking at how we have a tendency as human beings to lower our standards. We, for some reason, and some people more so than others, but we have a tendency to be self-destructive. Yeah. And, and I'm putting it in the context of, of the rest of the chapter there, and that would seem to be because we're constantly living in the moment. You know, we, 
Yes. We're always thinking about right now. How do I feel right now? How do I think about this? You know, he talks in that chapter about not pining for the past. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do have to think about the future. And that's not to say there's anything wrong about reminiscing. But uh, yeah, guys, digital music that's only available for download is fine. You don't need CDs <laughs> or record albums. No, get off my lawn. Interpretation. Interpretation. <laughs> That's what we were talking about before we hit the record button, talking about how, <laughs> how the, you know, the digital world and how it's it's hard to actually own anything and how some some guy how, – how much did that guy lose from iTunes, uh, Eric? You were telling us about – $24,000 worth of media he got locked out of. Crazy, crazy stuff. But, you know, I mean, we look back, you know, we're all 80s kids and, you know, we think back of the days that, that were amazing for to us, you know. I was having a conversation with some younger kids, people last night, and they're talking about how great the '90s were. And I'm like, "No, you're crazy. The '90s sucked. The '90s were awful. We, we, you know, we were. I was born in the early '70s, and I watched the world kind of grow out of the suck. And then it got into the '80s, and it was amazing. And then everything started getting crappy again. <laughs> and uh, of course, that's just my perspective. My perspective. But if I was to just sit here and go. Oh, I wish I could have 1985 again because Back to the Future was one of the most amazing movies ever made and we'll never have anything like that again. And, you know, uh, if I try to live like that and never looking forward to anything good ever happening again, I mean, that's worthless folly, as as Solomon would say. So I have this theory that one of the points of Ecclesiastes is a sort of reality check outside of our point of view. So I have a friend who um, spent many years working as as an enforcement officer for the railroad. And a lot of his cases that he would get called out on were drug cases. So it was like drug drug smuggling, try, like trying to use the rail cars to get drugs hither or yon. Okay, so he spent a lot of time dealing with drug runners and drug running. Okay, so from that point of view, he sat in my living room one day and announced with great certainty that everyone who used drugs any time in their life was an addict. Hmm. And I was like, no, no, not even close. I think your life's framework sets you up to see the people who have taken it that far. But that does not mean that that's all of it. So so a narrow perspective versus a wider perspective. And he opened his mouth to argue with me and then he stopped and he goes, oh, no. I, I think you might be. I had never actually thought here he is in his 40s. Right. I never actually thought of that before because I've spent all these years feeling like I was fighting the greatest evil on Earth because if people touched it once, they were sunk. And I was like, yeah, no, that's that's, that's not true yeah. <laughs> at all. <laughs> it's not even yeah. close to true. And so when I read Ecclesiastes, that's what I'm hearing is like if you try to judge everything by this little slice that you're seeing right now, you're doomed. Wait until you see the end of it. Sit back and just kind of enjoy the ride, enjoy the process, and in all of that, you will find the point, and in all of that, you will find wisdom. Mm-hmm. See, I think that's where I was looking at it, too, because 
you know, in 29, it says they have sought out many schemes. And to me, when I read that, it was like, you know what? We're always looking for a shortcut. (laughs) We want the get rich quick. We want the end without all the work. And sometimes you just got to put in the work. Sometimes it is a process where, you know, I think we're always looking for that shortcut and how to get to it quicker. And sometimes it sometimes it pans out, just like you're saying. Sometimes it pans out, but then sometimes it doesn't. So you have to be prepared for that, too, that if you're going to choose that road, there are the consequences. And I think that's the whole entire book. The if, then. And he, and he actually says that. He says that in chapter 9, verse 11. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. Mm. And I think that is what he's getting at, you know, the best laid plans of mice and men or whatever. And he's, and I, and, and that, and that I believe is why he's saying, focus on right now, enjoy your life from day to day. Just enjoy your life from day to day because you can't control the end of it. It's bigger than you. Yes. And I think that last thing that you just said there, Karen, is is we need to put Ecclesiastes in the context of the rest of the Bible and the reading we're doing. Job comes to mind, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The whole it's bigger than we realize thing. I'm rereading uh, parts of Mark, and there are things that Jesus says to his disciples, especially uh, relevant to his imminent sacrifice, his his death uh, and resurrection. They don't understand it. They're hearing these things, and they can be, okay, well, whatever that means. So there are things happening around us, sometimes to us or through us, that we that we do not understand, and sometimes we get to see the implications of it, because we see in the case of the New Testament, the disciples saying, oh, that's what you meant, die and be resurrected in three days. Right. They saw that mm-hmm. as we read the book of um, Job, to my knowledge and recollection, Job never knows what happened behind the scenes in chapter one, where there's this there's this cosmic conflict between good and evil. He doesn't know that. And so we have to look at the things that are happening here in Ecclesiastes and keep all of those things in mind. For example, uh, 8.14, there's a vanity that takes place on earth, that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked, and there are wicked yeah. to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. You know, I said, this is vanity. And so and then again, he says this, and I commend joy for man. For he has no good thing under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. I can't tell if this is dismal or uplifting, guys. <laughs> to be honest. It's, it's, it's yes. reality. You guys taught me that last week. This is reality. <laughs> um, entrenched in reality. Yeah. <sighs> I might be opening a can of worms here, but what did you guys think of the first part of chapter 8? The title is Obey Authorities for God's Sake. Like with an exclamation point, because that's how it sounds. Employee <laughs> authorities, for God's sake. Yeah. Um, I don't think that's the way it's supposed to be. It's more, it seems to be like it's more like, um, be, because you, 
Well, let's see. Verse two. Let me read verse two here. I say, keep the king's commandment for the sake of your oath to God. That's an interesting. That's an interesting thing to to look at, because sometimes, sometimes the governmental decrees are counter to moral. Well, our morals. Sometimes they're counter to to God's laws. Uh, I don't know. What did you think about that? It just seems to me like right now our society is really having a struggle with accepting who is in charge should they be in charge you know you know you know where I'm, I'm getting at with that and and as as christians where do we land well i think that this is just okay jesus addresses this many times and it's addressed in the book of romans as well is that there are times where we do where it does not where governmental authorities and so on like this do not contradict the moral law of God, now, different people interpret that in different ways, that we're to let them do the thing that they do. This is my personal belief, is that if we spend our time, Jesus got asked this question, do we pay taxes to Caesar? Well, this was specifically a trick question asked of Jesus for the purpose of getting him in trouble, either with Rome, if he said don't pay taxes, mm-hmm. or getting him in trouble with the the uh, the people, if he were to say, "Oh yes, we owe Rome our you know oppressors money," so they were hoping that this would be a trap, and the assumption was that it's a binary decision, right? It's either yes or no, and they they figured uh, in this trap that either way it was going to be a trap for Jesus. And so he said, hey, bring me a coin, which in itself is interesting because it, it says he didn't have any money on him. A little lesson in that, too. And they, they bring him a denarius. And he's like, okay, so who's, whose face is on this coin? Because the, the Romans would mint it, and they would usually mint themselves on the uh, face of the coin. And they said, well, it's Caesar. And he's like, okay, well, then apparently this belongs to Caesar. Give it back. And what's God's? And they had a temple coin, see? They give that to God. And what he was saying is, is that you owe different allegiances to different places. And there's a time for both of these things. And we want it. We want, oh, we humans, we just want one answer that always fits every situation. And we just know what to do. We won't have to ask. We won't have to think. We'll just say, well, this is the rule. I'm just going to do it. And we're not given that the wisest of the wise is specifically jesus thing here he's always coming up with a third way that we do this and another example of jesus third way is they came to to peter and said peter do you does your rabbi pay the temple tax again this was a trap because rabbis didn't pay the temple tax because they were they were working for god see and so they're like, aha, so if he pays the temple tax, that's him admitting that he does, that he's not rabbi status if he doesn't pay it. And if he doesn't pay it, I'm sorry, if he does pay it, that's saying he's not really a rabbi. If he does pay it, um, then we've got him there, too, because he's saying either way, we've got him. I'm rambling there just a little bit. Sorry, but 
So Peter comes and asks Jesus, well, do you pay the temple tax or don't you? And Jesus says, well, does the son of the king pay king's taxes? Well, no, actually, I guess he doesn't because he's the son of the king. And Jesus says, tell you what, go fishing because Peter knew fishing and just throw out your line, pull in the first thing that you get and uh, look in his mouth and take that to the priests. I've done a message on this. It's, it's a fun thing. Peter goes out, pulls, throws out his line, brings in a fish, opens his mouth, and there's a coin in the mouth of the fish. Craziest thing ever. And it turns out that this coin is the same amount of temple tax that would be for two people. And Jesus says, just so that we don't offend them, go and give this to them. And so I would just love to see, love to have seen this happen, is that Peter takes this coin and gives it to the people who ask, do you pay the temple tax? And I'm sure he slaps it in their hand and like, ew, it's slimy. This smells like fish. <laughs> What's this about? You're like, yeah, here's a funny story. Jesus told me just to go out and cast a line out, bring in a fish, and give you what I find in his mouth. And so I'm sure they heard this. And so their higher ups were like, did he pay the tax or not? It's like, well, okay, so we, we have the coin, but Jesus didn't pay it because... Actually, they found it in a fish's mouth, which is a miracle. So he didn't pay the tax, but we have the money. Like, how do you explain that? And I think that this calls for wisdom when we're dealing with things like, do you obey authority or do you not? That God has, and he invites us to ask him to lead in those things. He gives us principles, but it would be unwise for us to give Blanket advice, I think, on those things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. In Galatians, it says, you remember where it lists in Galatians 5, where it lists out the fruit of the Spirit? Mm -hmm. You know, love, joy, peace, patience, blah, blah, blah. Okay. At the end of that list, it says, against such there is no law. Right? Okay. Right. So with that in mind, so I've got a parallel Bible. I've got four versions side by side. And for this sec section of verses in chapter 8, Matt, I read through all four. So I have two translate, two translations and two paraphrases. And this one is from, this is one of the paraphrases. This is the New Living Translation. And I thought this was really good. So see what you guys think of this. So this is verses two through uh, five. Obey the king since you vowed to God that you would. Don't try to avoid doing your duty and don't stand with those who plot evil. For the king can do whatever he wants. His command is backed by great power. No one can resist or question it. Those who obey him will not be punished. Those who are wise will find a time and a way to do what is right. So he, it's, it's, a, it's hard to stand this on its edge because, because yes, our, our societal leaders, we know they're, that they're put there by God. But they're not necessarily like God's plan is different than ours. Like God's God's plan, our our plan would be to make each of our nations and our uh, local or smaller than nation jurisdictions like do the very best that they can. And so when we see our man appointed and also God appointed leaders acting contrary to that, it can get really really frustrating because. In many cases, it blatantly goes against what we know God would do if God were in charge. And yet God's entire scheme is moving the planet along to where he can come back. Like we're in plan B. 
we're, we're slopping along in mud to our knees trying to get to where this thing can actually be resolved, this problem of sin. And we also know that Satan is in, that he is the prince of this world. I mean, the Bible says that, and it's Jesus himself says it, the ruler of this world. He calls Satan the ruler of this world. And so, and so how do we juggle that? Well, I don't know from situation to situation, and I, I totally agree with Eric. I think we should resist giving a blanket judgment on it. But I like that the fruit of the spirit do not have laws against them. I like keeping that in mind, and I like what this says here that says there is a, uh, those who are wise will find a time and a way to do what is right. So most of us aren't acting on a national scale or on a state government or a county government or a municipal government scale. Most of us aren't acting on those ways. We're not the policy makers and the doers but in our own little way, if we are working within one of those things and we do see something wrong happening at a higher level, we can still do the right thing. Like right in front of me, I have the power to impact all kinds of small situations day to day and show God's character through that and live out the fruit of the spirit through that. And I don't have to, you know, open carry and swagger through the marketplace, carrying a banner and shouting what I believe in order to do the right thing here and now. So... I, I guess when you come up against those, we also know from the book of Revelation that it's it's going to get really bad by the end of the world. And there will come a place where the civic government is coming down on God's people simply for being God's people and for, for trying to follow his word. So, yes, we know this is all going to escalate. But I think there, I think there are enough guidelines in place to help us decide how to do small things, even in the midst of bigger things that we really disagree with. I think mm. the key there is that we try to do the right thing. And sometimes the right thing isn't always the most popular thing. Oof. Where? Seldom is. What's that? I said it seldom is. Right. You know, and I think, and I think that's the key that, you know, you know, in another part of the Bible, sometimes you need to be the one that stands in the gap where mm -hmm. you see wrong, you call it wrong. And, you know, if that puts you at odds with the bigger picture, sometimes that happens. And I think yeah. it's just like what we're reading now in Ecclesiastes is that, you know, there's two sides of the coin and sometimes it is. You have to make a choice. Am I saying that you go against the, the higher powers? No, I think it's exactly what we're saying. You need to make that decision for yourself to do the right thing. Are you looking at it through, you know, keeping your eyes firmly focused on God and loving your neighbor? I think we've said that quite a bit, especially to, you know, in light of everything that's been going on with the pandemic and, and masks is, are you doing it for yourself or are you doing it for your love of your neighbor? You know, and I think that's kind of where it's at, at this point. Yeah, we'd be, we'd be very lost in theory here if all we had was Ecclesiastes, but we don't. <laughs> we, we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We also have read through Jesus as the creator in Genesis and the ideal plan that we had, the way things were supposed to be, and the way things are, are very different. And Ecclesiastes is, I think, a fairly unvarnished look at the way things are. Here's, here's a few we haven't hit. You know, we've talked about things like do what you can, and there's a cool one here in Ecclesiastes 9, 10. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Favorite verse. You know, which I think is out. 
outstanding. I mean, I think that's a that is a mantra I find uh, brings value to my life. If I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it the best that I can. Doesn't mean I will be the best one doing it. It just means that I'll be doing the best that I can. Right. So right. we've got some cool stuff like that. But then he Solomon drops some some real like hello. Here's in Ecclesiastes 9, 4, and 5, and 6. But he who is joined with all the living has hope. It's like, yay, you get your life, so you got a chance. For a living dog, and dogs were kind of like the lowest, and not like the pets that we see it. Biblically, dogs were pretty much the bottom of the totem pole here. He says, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. Lions were the top of the animal kingdom so to speak, there, that they honored those. A living dog is better than a dead lion, for the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever have no more share that is done under the sun. So there's two things that I see going on here. One is a is an overarching philosophical thing like we've talked about, like, hey, look at the end of the matter, and then if that's the end of the matter, how do you live now? How do you work that backwards? He's saying, you're going to die, and the, and you should know that. You know, the living know that they'll die, and you live your life accordingly. Also, there's a little bit of theology here, and he's saying... When the dead die, they don't know anything. They're done. They are as useful as a toaster that's been unplugged. I mean, they're just, they're just nothing going on there anymore. And it's interesting that he has said their love and their hate and envy have perished. They have no more share that's done under the sun. In other words, he's saying when you go to the grave, that's it. I mean, you're you're not looking down on things. You're not participating in things as a spectator or as a commentator, or you're not loving anything. You're you're done. Yeah, the rest of the rest of verse ten, which you guys were were talking about, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. That's actually only the first part of the sentence, because and it finishes out with a summary of of everything Eric was just saying. For in the realm of the dead where you are going, there is neither working, nor planning, nor knowledge, nor wisdom. Like, when you when you dead, you dead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which um, is, mm-hmm. I was just going to say, that's a, that's a bit of a shocking thing to many Christians these days. Because there's been a belief that, well, when you die, your, your soul goes to heaven. Now, I want to point something out, is that in Ecclesiastes and in Psalms and elsewhere, your spirit does, in fact, go back to God. It's his. It's his breath. You can go back to the beginning of Genesis and see that God made man out of earth, the elements, and breathed into man God's breath. Not our breath. It was never ours. We use it. We get to have it. We enjoy it. Solomon recommends that we enjoy it while we have it. And then it goes back to God. Not our soul but our breath. And this is a shocker to a lot of people. The idea that there's a soul that exists as a 
as a as a conscious thing separate from our body is not Jewish. It is not. That's not from the Bible. That's from Greek theology. That's from that's from the Greeks. That there's this. Well, you have a you have a body, and that just is the is the inhabitation place of the real deal, which is your soul. And your soul is immortal, and your soul goes. That's Greek, and that was adopted by the uh, later Christian Church, and taught as they were two separate things. And the idea that you have an immortal soul that has to go somewhere, so it can go to heaven or to hell or to purgatory, because it has to go somewhere because it's immortal. You can't do anything about that. Is not biblical. Jesus says. And I know this is a shocker to a lot of people, but. Stick with me here. You'll find it throughout. Jesus says, most famous verse ever, John 3, 16. You know, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever be- whoever believes in him gets eternal life. Wait a minute. Mm-hmm. Why would he say that if everybody already had it? Yeah. He's like, no, no, no. The ones who believe in me, they're the ones who get eternal life. We read also, I think it's Thessalonians, that mortal puts on immortality. They're saying, yeah, you're mortal right now. And at the time that Christ comes, your reward is with him. And you get it at that time. And there's verse after verse after verse that talks about everybody gets their reward at one time. Not just one at a time as you die, is it happens at the second coming. And I I know that that's a, a, it's a real bit of like a what? But this is, this is a thing specific to to some theology in Christianity, and it was not always universal. It it wasn't our idea today is that everybody always believed that, yeah, you're in heaven as soon as you die, or you go to hell, or you go to purgatory. Not so. I've been through many, many cemeteries in New England, old ones, and looked through, and there are tombstone after tombstone after tombstone. There's old hymns, too. It says, here lies... You know, John Smith awaiting the glorious return of Jesus. There's no hint of like, oh, and John Smith is in heaven looking down. They believed that you die, you go into the ground, game over until the second coming. And I think Ecclesiastes here is just one of those glimpses. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, <clears throat> didn't the Apostle Peter say something about that too? He was talking, he was preaching and he was he was like, well, um, David's tomb is, you know, da- we all know that David lived and died and his tomb is with us till this day. We know, we know that he's just like over there lying in his tomb. He hasn't gone anywhere. Mm-hmm. His body remains with us to this day. So, I mean, the apostles, they, they believe that same thing that when you, when you die, you stay dead until the second coming. Yeah. Yeah. As an electrician, the, the analogy that always made the most sense to me, it would be like the light bulb. Of course, everything's LED now, but the light bulb, you know, <laughs> you have you have a, a, you know, a glass portion with a vacuum inside of it with a filament in there. And until you apply electricity to it, it's just a it's just a thing. It's just dead. But once you apply the electricity to it, then it's able to fulfill its purpose, which is uh, giving light to the room. But as soon as you take the electricity away it ceases to function yes you 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 put the you put the electricity back in it it comes back on now if that filament breaks just like our bodies break over time and it's unable then to receive or to utilize any kind of power put on into it uh it ceases to function 
So much like if our one our bodies break down, even if that power from God is there to we just we we can't do anything with it at that point. And and so, yeah, so it's very much like that light bulb that where um, you have you have an energy that can go to it and make it make it function. Uh, but if something happens, if any part of that light bulb breaks down, it ceases, it ceases to function. It ceases to be a light bulb. Now it's just a, a dark bulb, I guess. I don't know. What you, but, um, you know, and, and, you know, when, uh, well, what, here, it is, is what it is, is it's the remaining physical shell without yeah. the extra spark that makes it performance exactly. function. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, when Solomon's talking about how we don't have, you have, they have no more, how do you put it? No more, um, oh, shoot. Where does it say? And we have no more, uh, reward. Reward. You know, at any rate, we don't have any influence on the world anymore when we're dead. Yep. Now that, and th- think about, think about that. Cause I know that some people might be listening to this and they're thinking, but my mom died and it's really comforting for me to think of her looking over and watching over me. Think that through. Mm-hmm. Do you really want your mom to see everything you're doing? Doubt it. I mean, unless you have just this amazing, you're the most amazing moral person on the planet. Do you really think you, you want your mom having some sort of omniscient power to watch over you after she's died? I wouldn't. Well, I think I think the reason people embrace that thought is because it feels like they're they're not actually alone. So sure. Like what what that means in the logistics is a little bit horrifying, at least from my my point of view, but I value my privacy a great deal. Um but <laughs> but I, I really think that people in in grief they don't want to think that that person has left them, you know, like unless that person lived a horrid life, like if they knew Christ and they were a good person, then you're, you know, they, their future is secure. So when we grieve, typically we're grieving for ourselves. Like we don't have that person anymore. Like for the rest of our years of life, that person won't be part of it. So we're grieving for our loss and yeah. it gives comfort mm-hmm. to think that that person maybe isn't quite all the way gone. And you can continue to talk to them and they hear you, right? I have I have coworkers who talk about that, about like, you know, going over to their sister's house or going over to their mom's house or whatever to clean it out after that person dies and and like talking talking to them the whole time. And it was so comforting to know that they were there. I don't see that in the Bible. Well, we do. But we but it's strictly forbidden. And the, the one time we see it expressly used, we've talked about this weeks ago, was Saul, uh, who goes to see a witch, which was forbidden, who is supposed to call up the spirit of Samuel, which is forbidden. And this spirit, because the Bible says it's a spirit that they called up, not Samuel, basically tells Saul, you're going to die. You might as well give up all hope. And so in the in the Bible. Anytime we're talking about communication with the dead, it is absolutely, strictly, with no exceptions, forbidden. It's a done thing. It is a, you don't go there. The exceptions to this, and it's a puzzler to some folks, is like, well, what about Jesus? Jesus talks to Moses, and Jesus talked to um, Elijah. We're told, in James, we're told that... uh, 
an angel went to specifically retrieve Moses. And we saw how Elijah went to heaven without dying. And so in those two people, we have, I guess, a foreshadowing of those who never die, Elijah, and those who die and are resurrected, that's Moses, who are a type, if you will, of those who represent both the living and those who will be resurrected at Christ's second coming. And that's a lot. If, you, if this is a new thing, you may be thinking, what a world? Maybe we can drop some things in the show notes. But here, you know, I mean, I've written in the column on my Bible a lot of things that are pertinent to this. It's a lot of verses. It's a lot of verses. I won't read those. We'll just skip that. We can put some of those in the show notes if you want to look at them. But I believe the Bible is consistent here. And within the context of Ecclesiastes, we'll stay here for just a second. Solomon is saying, whatever you're going to do, you kind of have a beginning and an end to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you need to make it happen between those two bookends. Yeah. Make the most of it. Yeah, because... You got to do do it while you're alive. Don't don't expect don't don't think that things are going to get suddenly better later or you're going to have some kind of ability to to retroactively act. Exactly. There is no hint of, well, once you die, you get a you get a mulligan, like you get a you get a period to to kind of redo what you didn't do right while you're alive. No hint of that whatsoever. One of the one of the worst conversations I ever had with my dad was where he had he had been diagnosed with stage four brain cancer. It was stage four at his first symptoms. So there was not really a chance to sort of forestall it. And so he knew that he was terminal. I lived in Alaska at the time and he called me one day and we had a very long conversation and he was sort of coming to grips with the fact that like he was, he was going to die. Like he was 54. He was healthy. He, you know, worked out. He ate right. He, you know, tried to live a good life. He tried to serve God and, and he was going to die. And, and so he called me and then my brother told me later that they had a similar conversation. So I know this was like kind of a burden for him. And the gist of the gist of the conversation was that he had regrets. He was suddenly facing the end of his life, which he had not known was going to happen this early. And by all physical laws and logical laws, he was going to live a long, long time. And and yet that wasn't the reality that he was living out and he was startled and he was upset and he wished that he had done things differently. So in, in chapter nine, verse 12, it says, no one knows when their hour will come as fish are caught in a cruel net or birds are taken in a snare. So people are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them. Okay. And so and to me, this is like one of the main gists of Ecclesiastes, exactly what you guys were just saying. You, you know your life's going to end. Like, get comfortable with that fact. You don't know when it's going to end or how it's going to end. So live now, right? And so, so to, that, to that point, like, if I go back a few verses, Solomon says, go, eat your food with gladness, drink your wine with a joyful heart, for God has already approved what you do. Always be clothed in white, always anoint your head with oil, enjoy life with your 
wife whom you love all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun, all your meaningless days. This is your lot in life and in your toilsome labor under the sun. And then at the very end of the chapter, when he's sort of summarizing all of his thoughts in verses 13 and 14, he says, now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. So there you go. I mean, like, that's what he's getting at. And that's what the, that was that thing that my dad was missing. It was like he was young. He was healthy. He was doing everything right by all of the human formulas. He had many, many years left to go. And then, bam, no. First symptom, stage four brain cancer. It's a kind they can't stop. Guess what? Your days are numbered. That was it. That was it for him. Go home and put your house in order. And he was startled and he had regrets. And he told me very, very clearly, like, whatever, whatever, however you're living, like, be in the moment, like, pay attention and really kind of enjoy this because you don't know. You don't know what's coming down the tracks to you. And there is no human formula to outsmart that process. And and I and of course that conversation has lived on in my mind. And when I read Ecclesiastes, I hear it over and over. I totally agree with 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 Karen. You know, the regret parts, you know, they always tell you to live your life without regrets. Is that possible? <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I would almost say no, because there's always going to be a twist and a turn somewhere down the line where you, where you, especially too, we store, we started out this conversation about our children and I always bring that back to, we were talking about growing up in the, the, the eighties, the seventies, what have you. And, and I don't know how it was in your house, but what my parents said was the rule. There was God, there was my parents and there was no questioning in between, but you know, so, when I raised my kids or I'm, when I'm still raising my kids, I, I made it a point to tell them, you know, there's no book on being a parent. If there was, I, I, I'd hope that I do pretty good, you know, especially with all the education that I've had, but there's not. And I make mistakes. You know, um, I make wrong decisions and I kind of made it a point to kind of let them know that, you know what, I could do things better. And that's why I think, the regret can come in. It's where, you know, is there a different twist or a turn that I could have done? But I think what Solomon is trying to say, too, is like, you know what? Accomplish what you can accomplish here. Have fun doing it. Be wise. Keep your eyes focused on God. You know what? And it'll all work out. You know, and it's unfortunate that that we lose people early on in life. And and it is. It I'm Sure, it's a hard thing to grasp. Seeing it and thinking, you know, there's so much more things I wanted to do. There's so many other people I wanted to see and talk to and that kind of thing. So I don't know if you can go without regrets, but it's like use your time here wisely is all I'm think all I think he's trying to get across here. Be the mm -hmm. best person that you could be. Serve God, love God, love your wife, even if it's seven hundred or three hundred concubines. You know, try to love them all. I guess, <laughs> you know, um, but I think that's just the whole kind of play on words that he almost uses throughout this whole thing. It just comes down to be the best person you could be. Yeah, that, that kind of leads into chapter 10. He, you know, all of this, all of this is in context. You know, we 
I mean, if you just look at the surface of things, it almost seems like he could be contradicting himself. Because at one point, he's like, don't live for just right now. But at the same time, he's saying, well, enjoy right now. But when you get into chapter 10, he starts talking about uh, maintaining, basically maintaining wisdom. Uh, don't, um, talks about, you know, if you, or the way I interpreted verses one through four, it's kind of like the slightest deviation from wisdom undermines the, cr- the credibility of someone who's considered wise. And so, you know, it, it, it's, uh, I don't know, I guess I see it as sort of a warning for us to stay on guard, keep our, keep our guard up, try to always, uh, live within that, that wisdom and avoid giving in to, to adversity because we have things that come up upon us and we might be, we might be tempted to step away from what we know to be wise or what we know to be right. But as soon as you do that, people that are, you know, people are watching you and when they, people are just always waiting to see somebody fall. But those, those moments that you, that you slip and, and act unwisely can be the moments that, that really people, people watch, you know, and unfortunately can define your character. Mm hmm. And yeah. it's sad because, you know, there's that that one saying that basically, you know, for every hundred things you do, they're only going to remember the one thing that you didn't do, mm-hmm. or the one mistake that you made. And and unfortunately, that's that's how it it's sometimes remembered. You hate mm-hmm. for it to happen, but it, it does. Yeah. He advises us against working against established uh, wisdom. He talks about digging pits and breaking walls in verses uh, eight through ten. And and about uh, like trying to cut wood with an axe, if if with a dull axe, and if the axe gets dull, you have to work twice as hard. And so so it's important for us to keep that keep ourselves sharp. I mean, it's a, you know it's an interesting analogy. Maybe this is part of where it comes from. But you know, stay sharp. You have to you have to be constantly honing the blade. And I'm wondering if he's kind of reminiscing where his life is. You know, because we know with Solomon that. He did. He prayed for wisdom and knowledge, and he got that, and he exhibited that early on. He was doing what God wanted him to do, and the wives kind of pulled him away from that, had him towards you know the middle of his life chasing after false gods, worshiping mm-hmm. false gods, falling into the religions of all these different um, wives and concubines that he had. And then at the end, it has him coming back to what he knows— to be truth. So, you know, I'm wondering if a lot of this is is etched in that to say, you know what, always stay on guard, always try to stay sharp and stay wise. You know what? And maybe my story won't happen to you. Yeah. And that kind of goes to uh, stuff in chapter 11 too. kind of just jumping forward because we sort of already talked about a lot of the things here. Well, you know, chapter 10, it talks about <laughs> it talks about not talking too much, you know. Uh, because if, if you, if you spend a lot of time talking and just, it, 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 a lot of times you just show how unwise you really are. Uh, if you're, if you're just spouting off, you know, how does, <laughs> I'm trying to think of, remember the wizard of Oz when they're talking about the, the, the they're talking about the, the scarecrow and it's like, how could you talk if you don't have a brain? 
And there's the, Eas- the I would guess easily judging by modern social media, but okay. Well, exactly. And I think one of the characters, it's been a while since I've seen the Wizard of Oz, was like, I don't know, there's a lot of people who talk without having a brain. <laughs> you know, so uh, I, I think it was Mark Twain who said, how does he put it? He says, it's better to keep your mouth closed and have people think you a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. <laughs> I love I love that phrase. You know. But the purpose, the reason that Solomon is saying all that is right there in verse 14. No one knows what is coming. Who can mm-hmm. tell someone else what will happen after them? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have a note there. I just wrote down armchair warriors. You know, everybody always thinks they know. Oh, I know exactly what we'd be right in this situation. Why don't they do mm-hmm. that? Well, because you know. Maybe, maybe you think that's it, but you're not, you're not in the situation. You're not, you're not. It's really only me that knows. So everybody else should just sit down and be quiet. Right, right. Mm -hmm. Solomon's dealing with the the major themes of life. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of kind of almost proverb kind of things that happen in uh, chapter 10 and some chapter in chapter 11. But he gets to the idea that one of the big mysteries of life where do we come from? Where are we going? Uh, these things. And in 11.5, it says, as you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with a child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. It's like, you don't, so, okay, there, keep in mind, this is Solomon, who's, according to what we've heard, is the wisest man who ever lived. He's like, you don't know. You do not know where the spirit of life comes from. You do not know how God works. You don't know everything. Down, we get the uh, dust to dust kind of a thing. We do it again in chapter uh, 12, 7. And the dust returns. He's talking about our life. And the spirit returns to God who gave it. It's not ours. It's the spirit. What is that? Don't know. And as an English teacher, I'm just going to point out this uh, former English teacher. that Chapter 12, verses 1 through 7, the whole thing. One sentence. Mm-hmm. Take this from birth to death in one sentence, seven verses. It's wow. He is he is not sunshiny about how life's gonna be. You're right. There are no periods in there. <laughs> it's kind of written as a poem, but yeah, it's just it is. It's one long statement. One and, long sentence. And he takes us from birth to death. Mm-hmm. You know, remember the creator in the days of your youth. That's how he begins and it ends. And the spirit returns to God who gave it. And yeah. in between is all the things that happen. And as Karen pointed out too, the way the whole book of Ecclesiastes ends, is it, and we've mentioned this last time in, in last week's podcast, is that Solomon gets very, very, very metaphysical, theoretical about a lot of things in life. And yet, when it comes to what can you do with all this, he puts some pretty solid handles on it that everyone can grab. And he gets right down to this in at the, literally at the very end of the book, chapter mm-hmm. 12, 13. The end of the matter. All has <laughs> been heard. Like he's like, okay, we, we've been through everything. So here's the summary. Fear God. Respect him, that is. I don't think he means fear in that sense, but respect God for who he is. Keep his commandments. That's the whole duty of man and mankind. 
Therefore, God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. This is this chapter is going to end with a period. Your spirit goes back. And I just thought this was a, just a really cool thing. It hadn't struck me before. I've read Ecclesiastes before. And we know that every secret thing, all the evil things that are done, and Solomon and David both address those, those evil things will be judged. But here's a super cool thought. So will every secret good thing. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Isn't that just awesome? Like you could go through life sowing secret good things, doing what you can that other people don't know about, that someday will be called. I think that's awesome. It is awesome. It's very cool. Yeah. Yeah, so the book of Ecclesiastes, I really have changed my mind on the book of Ecclesiastes. I went from thinking of it as a very pessimistic outlook on life, very, it was very much, it just seemed down to me in the past. But really digging in this time, I really have seen it as being far more uplifting than I had ever given it credit for. And it's just, there's so much just good advice here. You know, basically don't, you don't get bogged down into all the tiny little details. Don't get, don't pine so much for the past. Don't worry so much for the future. Do what you need to do. It's okay to plan, but when things go awry, just know that that's the way the world works. And, but just keep, just keep going. Just keep going. Just keep moving. Uh, just, uh, it's just, it was very, yeah, it, it was just very inspirational to me this time, this reading through. Because, uh, like I say, in the, in the past, it just seemed very depressing. But um, when you really well, look at what he's trying to say. that I think that, that's, that his point of view is depressing if you think that you hold more power in your hands than you do. Well, yep. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's, I think that's a big part of his message, too, is you only have what you have. Yep. And do what you do what you can with what you have. Yep. And uh, you know, well, I mean, it's a, it's a cliche, but it fits. You know, life gives you lemons, make lemonade. You know, everything's not always going to go great. Everything's not always going to be bad. It's the way the world works. It's not necessarily maybe the way God always intended it to be, but it is what it is. Right. And um, you know, the depression sets in. I think. I'm, and I'm not talking about clinical depression here. I, I've never been one to understand clinical depression because I've never, uh, and I've never experienced it myself. I know that I know that that's something that people have to deal with, and that's kind of a different subject. But um, though, but the, the the you know the stress and anxiety that just comes from everyday life. Hey, man, everybody has that. Mm-hmm. We all have those downtimes. It's it's what are you going to do to move forward? Are you going to keep pining for, oh, I wish it could be like it was 30 years ago? Well, it's never going to be. So what can you find good right now? What can you what can you hope for in the future? If things don't go that way, how are you going to deal with it? I think that's so much of what Solomon is trying to say. Any other thoughts? That's a good place to uh, I think so. wrap it up. I think that I think so. So that will wrap it up for the book of Ecclesiastes and for this week's uh, this week's reading. Next week, uh, it'll be interesting to see how this one goes. Next week, we're going to get into the Song of Solomon, and I think we'll basically 
talk about the entire book. I think it's like eight chapters. So a bit of reading there. And it's a lot of funky analogies. Uh, Karen, anybody ever compared your teeth to sheep before? Um, no, but I can only hope as a as a full-grown woman that someday someone will do that and really just make me feel all of <laughs> femininity. All of femininity, yes. <laughs> yeah. So next week we will we will be talking about the Song of Solomon. So read ahead on that while you're waiting for our amazing insights on that one. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> see how it goes. It's a it's an it's a it's a different book. It's it's different, but uh, I think there's there's some things to be gleaned from it and uh, some and it's from Solomon. So there's hopefully some wisdom in it. But we'll we will get into that next week. See, I'm talking too much. I'm showing how unwise I am. While you're waiting for that, be sure to reach out to us at attvpodcast.theadventure.org. Look for us on Facebook and make sure to share the podcast with your friends and family and neighbors. Be sure to subscribe so that we reach you in your feed each and every week. And we look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks for listening. Thank you.